Hello and welcome back to Researcher Radio Season 2, Episode 4. In this particular episode, we'll be discussing academic research in Africa. And before we begin, I'd like to remind you that if you have any topic ideas for future podcasts or webinars, or if you've got any questions for the panellists of this particular episode, you can always drop me an email at joseph.fenton at researcher-app.com. And remember, don't forget to subscribe. So as usual, I'm going to pass you over to Christina, who will be chairing this particular episode. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on this webinar. It's a Q&A with uh, two academics in universities in Africa. And the uh, over, overarching topic will be academic research in Africa. Uh, today, I have with me uh, also Mary Sweeney, uh, who will be asking the questions, and I'll be chairing the webinar today. So first, I'd like to introduce, uh, I'd like our panelists to so introduce themselves. So Bashar, why don't you go next? Right. Um, my name is uh, Bashar Haruna Gulumbi, and since 2015, I've been working as a teacher and a research assistant uh, at Federal University, Berlin, Kebi, Kebi State, Nigeria. And in the last five years, I have published quite a number of articles, I think uh, up to uh, 12 peer-reviewed articles, and I've also attended uh, conferences in Nigeria and outside Nigeria. Great, thank you very much. And Christopher? Oh, it's nice to be here. I'm Christopher Polo. I'm a researcher and a lecturer in Amadou Bele University, Rosaria, Nigeria. So my research interest is on in the development of biological control agents, especially the use of nematodes to control insect pests. And this is uh, coming in the spate of pollution of chemical uh, insecticides on, on crops. So my interest is to develop sustainable biological control agents to control insect pests. And I have been in the university for about three years. Um, and prior to that, I was a training consultant for a Swedish uh, agri-tech company based in Ghana, in Ghana. And it's also a research-based uh, company as well. So it's nice to share my experience in this webinar. Great, thank you very much. Um, just a note, if you don't mind to speak a bit louder or close to the microphone, uh, we could hear Bashar well, but um, just you, uh, maybe you can speak close to the microphone. So, and not for everyone, we um, have added a lot of your questions that you've submitted when registering for the webinar. Thank you very much. Lots of interesting questions. Um, you can add, ask additional questions in the chat box. You can uh, message me directly or um, chat to everyone and then I'll read them out after Ma Mary has asked all the uh, questions included in, the, in this webinar. So uh, now over to Mary to introduce the names. Hi everyone and welcome. Um, today we're talking about academic research in Africa and the themes that we're going to be discussing during this webinar are open research, choosing where to publish, research output, and collaboration and research, and then lastly, access to research. And as Christina said, that we had a number of good questions from yourselves, which we have incorporated into the deck. But if there are extra questions that you wish to ask at the end of the session, then please feel free to do so. So starting with the first theme. So open research and choosing where to publish. So to our panelists today, to Christopher and Bashir. Christopher, if you want to go first. Um, what do you see are the benefits of open research? So open research really makes um, one's work very accessible and easily citable it gives visibility to one's efforts and one's research work. Open research goes beyond access to articles. It starts with the methodology, um, the access to the equipment used, and of course, the software and the soft codes, uh, software codes used for analyzing data. In recent times, um, publishers refer or prefer 
academics to use open source software for data analysis, such as R, and make them easily accessible on GitHub's. So open research really helps one to collaborate more openly with the international community and also aids uh, reproducibility of the research work. So, and I think um, open research is, is really the main hub now because most research are funded by public funds and to get more funding, um, it is best to publicly show the results of one's research. And that is where the main uh, benefits of open research because the more visible you are, the more tendency you will get more funding to have more research work done. Yeah, and to add to that, uh, in addition to uh, what uh, Mr. Okolo has said, open research also uh, increases uh, collaborations. So if you publish your work you share it with the uh, scientific community to open the research. Other people in, in the other part of the world could see your research and you can then initiate uh, uh, collaborations. In addition, we that are in Africa, probably we don't have, uh, you know, so many institutions in Africa don't have access to uh, subscription journals. So with open research, uh, researchers in Africa could get access to not only uh, published articles, but also uh, uh, important softwares for analyzing data. And of course, uh, it increases reproducibility of uh, research uh, uh, project. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so to ask both of you then, is open access a factor for you when you're actually choosing a journal to publish in? Yes, certainly. For me, since uh, it enhances uh, the tendencies of collaboration and it makes somebody more visible to the scientific community, certainly it is a factor for me to consider when publishing my article because uh, especially for those uh, researchers that are in Africa, if I publish my work uh, in a journal or subscription journal where the article may not be freely accessible to uh, 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 researchers, I think it is going to narrow down the chances of uh, collaborations and it will reduce uh, uh, visibility. So I consider uh, open access as a factor in publishing my research work. I have mixed feelings with open access publication. As an author, I would like to publish my work and not pay too much for it. But then as a reader, I would love to have other people's work freely available for me to read. So it's a two-way thing. In Africa, we rarely have the opportunity to get our publication funded by funding bodies. Most times we do it ourselves and we have to pay a lot to get this published. And then the reader gets it for free. So it's really, really um, a mixed feelings for me. If we can have a system whereby uh, Authors don't have to pay too much to publish their work. Well, after going through the stress and expenses of doing the research, and then you have to pay to publish it only for others to get it for free. If we can get um, a very, very strong waiver or even publishing at no cost, then that would really, really be great. That would make it really open access. But from what we have today, open access is having the reader having access to your research articles, but then you, the author, will have to pay for it. Okay, thank you. The next question relates to factors and key metrics. Um, the factors that you look for when you're deciding where to publish, and it's come from Henry Spielberg, the associate publisher at BMJ. So he's listed a number of factors, citation, impact, um, impact factor, acceptance rate, etc. So what are the key metrics 
you look for in a journal when, uh, when I think for, published? For me, uh, I look at it, I try to combine virtually all these factors because looking at, for example, time to publish, you may tend to fall in the hands of uh, predatory journals. If you only pick a pacto and you said, I'm going to consider how long it takes to get my article published, you may end up uh, 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 getting, you know, involved in this predatory uh, uh, stuff. So I try to combine all these factors and certainly I also consider the open access nature of uh, the paper uh, of the uh, journal. Yes, so uh, these key parameters stated by Harry uh, are paramount. But added to these, I would also want to know the aim and the scope of the, the journal. And then, yeah, what time it takes before, between acceptance and publication. But most importantly, it would be nice to know how much the author have to pay because for me, that's also very, very important. And now there is a tendency that um, a journal that doesn't charge much gets very, very little visibility and the impact factor is very low. But then there's always a trade-off. So time for acceptance and then the paid charges to the authors also plays a very important role uh, for me to decide where to publish. Okay, thank you. Um, so leading on from that, many publishers, as you mentioned before, uh, you mentioned about waivers previously, many publishers of fully open access journals actually offer waivers and discounts for article processing charges um, for papers whose corresponding authors are based in low-income countries. Um, have you ever applied for a waiver or a discount? And if yes, how did you find the process? Yes, I once did. That was about five years ago. And the, this percentage wave wasn't really significant, honestly. And it was on the high side. And uh, what the short story is that I eventually did not publish there. Because it's one thing to say that there's going to be a waiver. And the second part is how many percent wave from the, from the standard charge. And most times it's just on paper that there is always a discount, but there are some other back end charges that make the wave not really significant. For me, um, since I, you know, access to funding is, is a factor in Africa. So when publishing, I certainly go for journals that don't charge anything to publish. So I've never had a case of uh, seeking for an APC waiver. I always search for such journals that accept art, articles and publish at no cost. So no need for applying for waivers. I have never had, but certainly I'm aware that some journals offer waivers for researchers from uh, Africa. Okay. And sort of another question around that. Do you think publishers are transparent enough about costs and especially um, APC costs? I don't think so. Well, from my experience, I, I think there are some hidden charges that they are not completely transparent about. Just a question that uh, is coming through the chat box um, and you kind of answered it uh, about waivers and discounts. Are you aware of uh, when... Are you aware of such discounts? Obviously, uh, Chris, Christopher, you've applied, Bashar, you haven't, but are you aware when discounts and waivers are available to you? Um, there are certain publishers that uh, offer up to 100% discount depending on the country. I'm aware, I'm fully aware. In fact, I had a case uh, uh, considering whether to publish in a particular journal. And I realized that even with uh, that kind of waiver, I cannot afford uh, to, to pay. So I'm certainly aware of uh, the uh, waiver. So uh, there is this digital um, access platform called Agora. And it's mostly for agricultural research. So they make it easy for researchers to uh, get access to um, easy publications. 
But then uh, African um, low-income countries are also in different categories. And it turns out that Nigeria doesn't belong to um, low-income countries according to their own parameters. So maybe countries like uh, Niger or Sudan might fall into 100% waiver, but not Nigeria. Okay, thank you. Um, moving on to the next theme. Yep, so the next theme is around research output and various questions have come up from um, our attendees. But to start the ball rolling, what would help the advancement of African scientific research output? In my opinion, uh, adequate funding is one of the uh, key factors that have uh, undermined the advancement of scientific uh, research in Africa. Many researchers in this part of the world are constrained uh, with the fact that they don't have uh, access to adequate uh, funding to carry out uh, research. There is also a, an issue of access to high quality published articles at no cost. You see, so most of the uh, high impact uh, journals you see that the, the, they don't, their articles are not freely uh, available for researchers from Africa because most, so many universities in Africa don't have uh, this subscription for researchers to get uh, access to articles in their libraries. So funding, 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 free access to published work so that when you get adequate funding, you'll be able to get the right uh, literature to work with. And of course, eventually, right collaboration to work with or collaborators, yeah. So there is a platform uh, called the African Journal Online. Uh, it's been in operation since 1998. Uh, I think it's, it's uh, started from South Africa. They have about 54 African countries publishing journals publishing through the African Journal Online. Now, it would really help if IJO, African Journal Online, could serve as a larger platform to pull all African research and make them really visible. Um, I think they only have about a couple of, just a few journals from Nigeria. Most of the journals come from South Africa and Tanzania, but then there are still a lot more of captured. So it will really help the visibility of what we do in Africa if we can have a platform like Agile and other platforms from outside Africa pull all African research work and make them really visible. In that way, our research outputs can really reach the ends of the world. Yeah, interesting. Thank you. What does the term research excellence mean to you and has, how has it affected your institution and its output? Okay, so um, for me, research excellence means that whatever research I'm conducting has an impact on the society, either within my community or the wider society. And to achieve this, it means that the objectives of what I'm doing really have to be clear. And the institution that I'm publishing under should have a framework to guide me to make sure that whatever research I'm doing meets up with the expected level of excellence and with the expected um, level of what I aim to achieve. So for instance, uh, here at the Amado Bello University, we have what we call annual review, uh, research review meetings. And every research hosted within the institute um, have uh, an annual review and presentation of what has been done, what are the challenges, and what ways can other researchers come in to help us. In this way, everybody is on the watch and on its toes to make sure that whatever is being funded with public fund achieve a high excellence. So for us, uh, 
that's also what uh, research excellence is going to us. And for me, I think research excellence has to do with uh, the uh, ethical nature of your research. Did you conduct your research ethically? What is the eventual impact of uh, your research? It goes beyond that. Is your research able to, in addition to the impact to, to the immediate community, to your immediate community, have you been able to initiate uh, uh, collaborations? So in that, if you've done your work ethically, the work is of high quality, it is impactful, and you are able to establish collaboration, I can say you achieve research excellence. Okay, thank you. So the next question sort of, um, follows on from what you're both saying about research excellence and um, research having a positive impact. Um, and this is also now sought after in sort of ex post evaluations. And I know that research evaluations have become not only common in many African countries, but also they've become increasingly more complex. So what is your opinion on that? So from my experience um, in, in my own field in agriculture, so we have a unit called agricultural extension uh, work. So these are the, unit, these are the units, um, agricultural extension and outreach. These are the units that follow up with all research to find out if the research work or the research outputs is um, a benefit to the, to the target community. Uh, for instance, if we release a new breed of maize, uh, it's the extension unit that follows up to find out if they have any increase in yield, if there are reduced pest incidents, if uh, the soil is able to, if the crop are able to adapt to the change in climate and the rest of that. But then, it's really complex because we found out that to really finance this extension agent to go out for the ex um, post uh, research evaluation, it costs a lot of money. It, it sometimes costs even more than the research itself because a lot of logistics comes into play, um, traveling, accommodation, feeding, and the rest of them. So it's really, really uh, complex. And honestly, I don't really know how to go about this. But then that is a situation we find at, at hand. So we find that when budgets are made for research, uh, that of the extension and outreach units, that those, those are the guys who do the evaluation, turns out to be a lot more expensive than the research itself. Yeah, so uh, as a writer, it's still a problem, a complex problem of uh, majorly issue of funding you know, you know, in the academia, we have this uh, uh, publish, this slogan, publish or perish. So African researchers found themselves in the academia, and the only way to excel is to publish. And, you know, people get themselves, you know, trapped by predatory journals where they publish, you know, sometimes even they publicate data and publish so I believe strongly that the aspect of research evaluation, that, that there is hardly any provision to evaluate, uh, to even carry out the research itself, let alone evaluating uh, it in fact. So I believe so strongly that uh, it is a, a complex issue in Africa. Okay, thank you. And I think you've more or less covered the next question. So we have got a question from Abiola from ICE Publishing, and he wants to know how can publishers actually help authors in Africa more? Well, yeah, I think um, especially for publishers that, you know, charge high APCs to publish in their work, in their journals, rather, you know, publishers could help by entirely, not partial waivers, entirely waiving the APCs. In addition to the waivers, personally, I feel sometimes 
the 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 publishing world is kind of this is my personal opinion is uh, discriminatory. There are some form of uh, discriminations. Sometimes you you see journal publishing uh, work that you are confident that this work is is not better than uh, what you have done. You are confident that this your work will be accepted by the journal uh, by the publishers. But eventually, you get your article uh, turned down. So I think it's uh, there are two ways. One, waiving the AVC. And then, of course, let us have a fair play, irrespective of where you come from, whether you are from Africa. They shouldn't look down on us that, oh, this article is from Africa. It has nothing to offer. I think in these two ways, they can help... Uh, African uh, researchers and authors. Yeah, just to add a, a little bit uh, on this. So there is a statistics from the Nigerian Publishers Association. Uh, they serve about 1.2 billion people and they make uh, a profit of almost $1 billion. That's a lot of money. So it will really do a lot of good to the authors if there will be a reduction in, in, the, in the publishers of what the authors have to pay. And just to add to what Bash, Bashar said, um, most publishers do double-blind review. And I think that also helps. But then the challenge is most publishers, especially those in Africa, have very small circuit of reviewers. And I've had an issue where um, a, a publisher sent an article to one of the authors to review an article that his team sent out. It's really, really crazy and terrible. So the, the team of reviewers, the team of editors are really, really not that diverse. It's just a small select people. And these breeds a lot of predatory journals. Thank you. We have a follow-up question, and uh, you, Christopher, answered it, but I'll ask Bashar uh, that, uh, do you think double-blind review will help, help fight uh, this perceived discrimination? In a way, it can what? help. Yeah, sorry, Bashar. In a way, it can help, but mm -hmm. then when the, the reviewer looks at the content, mm -hmm. he can already tell, especially when in the materials and methods, uh, where he has to state the location where the research was done, the reviewer can already guess to an extent whose work is it or which group it came from. Mm -hmm. So uh, double-blinding review helps to an extent, but not, not entirely uh, remove the issue of discrimination. I believe it, it can help to, to, to some extent, uh, actually, if uh, uh, the identity of uh, the auto is concealed but to some extent, that is, if the identity of the author is concealed, even uh, during the process of peer review, chances are if there are discriminations, you don't even know where the, the author is from. But certainly, the, uh, the editor of the journal is going to know because eventually they are, you are going to submit uh, detailed uh, author information and your affiliation and they know where you come from and you know irrespective of the decision or comments from reviewers editors can always decide oh this guy is that guy so uh, we should not publish so to some extent it can improve and uh, and reducing discrimination thank you thanks both um so a different question from Juliet Kaplan, who is Director of Product at Research Square, and she wants to know, um, do you use preprints? And what is your biggest challenge in disseminating your research? Yes, I even uh, recently I drafted uh, a research uh, proposal for uh, PTDF funding here in Nigeria, and I remember I used two uh, preprints uh, uh, articles. And the challenges we, uh, I personally in disseminating my research 
uh, actually has to do with, uh, you know, sometimes you see a journal that you feel the article can go in, you can publish and, uh, and get uh, the world to, to have access to your work. But because you don't have that APC, you cannot publish in that big, big journal. You have to go down, maybe looking for a journal irrespective of its impact factor. If it is a genuine, non-predatory journal and submit to it, which the, uh, the, the, the dissemination of your article or your work is going to be narrowed uh, in doing that. I have never sent out preprints, but I've used a couple, uh, a few, a few preprints from other researchers to improve on my work. But the challenge is really, can these preprints be cited? Some publications, some publishers accept uh, citation, cite preprints, but most don't. And uh, there is this fear, especially in the African community, that one might steal your ideas and then polish it up and publish. So it's a little bit tricky uh, over here in Africa. So I never sent out any. Thank you. So moving on to collaboration and research, how do you collaborate on research with your peers, both nationally and internationally? Well, um, nationally, I collaborate with my uh, colleagues at work who eventually uh, have networks of collaborators in other institutions. And internationally, of course, through uh, my colleagues still, I was able to initiate a collaboration with when USBs uh, microbiologists, you know, it's sometimes uh, difficult internationally because uh, of our levels of uh, experience and sometimes, you know, potential collaborator has to go through your own profile and see uh, what do you have to offer, you know. So um, I also utilize social media platforms uh, such as uh, LinkedIn. I remember I was able to successfully uh, uh, initiate a collaboration with uh, a Nigerian researcher based in Amadou Bello University, uh, not Okolo, certainly, someone from microbiology who our article is uh, uh, presently uh, under review with uh, a journal. So that's how I, I, I make use of colleagues, my connections here at work and then make use of social media platforms like LinkedIn and Twitter, and of course, ResearchGate. So it is a common knowledge that Africa have the diversity, but very limited technical know-how and the tools to, to conduct the research. So from the international um, sphere, what I do is to collect samples here and then send them out for um, say molecular analysis or other forms of uh, technical complex analysis. And then we both get to share the benefits of, of the research. And this has been going on for a very long time. I remember when I was conducting my master's at uh, Ghent University in Belgium, I had to uh, get some samples from Nigeria, from Ethiopia, and then get them analyzed over there. And then also send some samples to Germany and within Nigeria. So we, we take advantage of what we have, and then um, which is the diversity, and then make use of the, the technical experts of our colleagues in the developed uh, countries, and also use their the technical know-how and the facilities over there. Okay, do you use ResearchGate at all? I know that you did mention it Definitely. briefly, but um, how big a role does ResearchGate play in um, for you? For me, I use it to uh, contact uh, potential 
collaborators, and I also use it to request for uh, uh, research articles from uh, researchers. Sometimes you see a research, a paper that is going to certainly uh, help you in conducting your own work, but you see uh, that paper is not freely accessible. So I use a research gate. If the author is from a research gate, I use research gate to request for articles and of course uh, initiate uh, discussions into possible collaborations with uh, authors. Yeah, just to follow up to what Bashar said, uh, ResearchGate for me, it's, it's a way of getting behind the paywall of publishers. So if the publisher already has an article, and I can easily request to make it available to me. And if he agrees, most often, I think I have never had any rejection from any uh, um, author that I contacted to send a full version of the text. So for me, it's, it's the ultimate goal behind the paywall of, of any research article. So it's an amazing tool. And I also get to follow uh, researchers' projects and ask important questions and also gets, um, also add a feedback to other people's questions. And it's really nice to see how one fares on the, the research index. So one gets to see how other people view your work and, and what impacts one's work is making other people's research. Thank you. Have either of you used Sci-Hub? Yes. I, uh, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. You, so, yeah. <laughs> You yeah. well, uh, you know it's <laughs> it's unethical to use Saihu, <laughs> but certainly we are our our hands are tied. You know, sometimes you need this paper, you need it, and you contacted the uh, the the uh, uh, the what do you call it? You contacted okay. the author of the paper, and no response. And you have Saiho at your disposal. <laughs> we use it, but I know it's unethical to use Saiho. The best way is to get articles that are freely accessible through subscriptions, or you talk to the uh, authors of the journal and try to see if you can get a pre-published uh, article. Uh, but certainly, uh, I use it in the past. On uh... Uh, I'm not in the past. I also use it in the present. <laughs> On that note, we have a note from Henry Spielberg uh, talking about research for life. Um, and he's saying that uh, free access to high quality journal content um, is available through research for life for institutions in most African countries. Are you aware of uh, research for life? I'm, I'm aware of it, but it's like uh, uh, it's not uh, available, in, you said, for most African countries. Yeah. No my, yeah, my 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 uh, institution is is a developing young institution, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm aware of research life, but I don't think it is available in my institution. Okay. So, um, uh, research life is is a great tool. Um, one of the arms that's really of interest to me is uh, is um, Agora and then the OERE. And of course, uh, the Kinari, the which is for the medical uh, section. So Amado Bello University has been there for a very long time. So it's a well-established institution. And we, we have access to some of the digitally deposited uh, research work on it. But even within the institution in Amado Bello, we have what we call um, open access article within the university and we also have a link with MIT. So it's on the website um, under the recite, um, resource uh, toolbar. So um, researchers can have access to articles even beyond the university and then uh, articles within the university, thesis um, and some other publications are openly and easily accessible to, to staff, members and students as well. Thank you. And to add, I use this... Uh international network for the 
availability of scientific publications. I get uh, a lot of uh, freely published articles from journals uh, on that uh, site. I understand that they come in to help some African uh, uh, universities uh, get subscriptions to some of these academic uh, uh, databases. Okay, thank you. So the next question is a bit of a philosophical question, but what's your vision for science and research in your country? For me, we researchers from Africa, we have uh, all the texts, we have the potential as uh, researchers. We've seen it, African researchers has gone out to the uh, in the developed uh, countries and they excel. They are making us uh, proud. But um, we that are still in Africa, working in Africa, we, we have a lot of hurdles and challenges, including, uh, like I always say, access to uh, uh, adequate funding, uh, restrictions. You know, sometimes you, you, need to, you need an article, but you cannot get it. You need a publication, you cannot get it. You want to go to a conference and share your findings. You cannot, you don't have uh, a, a conference registration fees. So I, I want to see uh, Africa uh, that is free of those hurdles. So it is very easy to, to blame funding, uh, lack of availability of uh, facilities. But there is also the need to change an attitude on how we approach our research. Sometimes we just do research just to publish and then get enough articles to be promoted because the, the, the basis for promotion and most African universities, certainly in Nigeria, uh, is the numbers of papers, not who cites the paper or the impact of the research article, the research output. So I, I think the change in attitude is my, is my vision for African research, where research will be conducted with the aim in mind to have a positive impact on a group or a community. And then the reading culture is really, really poor. Most times we don't really take out enough time to read. Most people get, get the, the, most of the information on social media, yeah, we, we need articles, but when those articles come up, very few people really sit down to read and get the message in those articles before reproducing, uh, using the methodology to, to apply to one's work. So the attitude to research, making sure that whatever research one does is for an aim, and then to really, really read. It's, it's my vision for African research. So... Probably a personal note now. Um, what would you do to inspire the next generation of researchers in Africa personally? So what do you think your contribution will be? Well, uh, for me, I think I can inspire young African scientists by doing the right thing, mentoring, mentoring them, advising them, and then making an impact. I think if uh, African young African scientists got the necessary mentorship and they get the necessary advice I think they will be inspired and when they see that you don't just talk the impact of what you are doing is felt then certainly they will get inspired I have a group of students that I meet regularly with, uh, from undergraduate and uh, postgraduate students. So what we do is to make sure that um, whatever research we are conducting have um, at least a minute impact to, uh, to a primary target. And my aim of meeting regularly with this uh, group of students is to help them maintain consciousness in whatever they do. 
Uh, another way that I, I inspire um, other researchers in Africa is uh, conducting seminars. I have conducted a number of seminars, especially in skill acquisition, in data mining, statistics, uh, use of R, use of Python to conduct uh, statistical analysis. Um, recently, I had a seminar at uh, another university. Uh, this gives me another room for some commercials. Um, I did a researcher, as a researcher ambassador, I did a researcher uh, seminar and also an end-note seminar, um, helping other students to learn and apply how to uh, prepare PowerPoint or make presentation on Prezi or using Tableau for data visualization. So these really uh, very small activities, but in the, in the long run, a few people pick up the skills and then take it from there. So these are the little uh, activities that I do to inspire the next generation of African researchers, especially in Nigeria. That sounds very admirable. So I know there's a lot of conflict between teaching and conducting research and mm. the time that's available for both. So how do you maintain the balance between teaching and conducting research? So um, it's really tricky. So I, I am a lecturer and I also conduct research. Now, what I do is to make sure that the, the technical staff are really well informed of what uh, experiments I'm conducting in the lab and I follow up regularly. So most of the routine work that needs to be done in the lab is handled by the technical staff and I come in to check, collect the data and analyze it. Now this gives me some free time to prepare my lessons and then uh, conduct the, the, the lecture. But what I have uh, started doing from the last two years is to make my lecture notes freely available online. So the university has a platform uh, called Moodle, ABU Moodle, where every student uh, needs to enroll for each course, and then uh, they have access to the lecture notes um, and the PowerPoints and some other free uh, texts and articles for them to read up before the actual class. And then all my classes, um, all the classes have projector and smart bots, so I can uh, present my lectures very easily using uh, PowerPoint and Prexy. So it really makes uh, the teaching very, very easy. And I can also conduct the tests online. Some of the tests can be done online to assess the uh, rate of uh, assimilation and understanding. So uh, I make, really make use of uh, uh, the technologies available to me to really make life easy for me. But I, I, I just hope I can have more time to really maximize and, and make it a lot more efficient. Sometimes I wish you can have like 30 hours a day and not 24 hours a day just to you know, achieve a lot of things. Yeah, so I, I, I do know that every university uh, lecturer is eventually a researcher. So right from the get-go, I'm aware for me to excel as a university teacher, I have to uh, conduct research, make an impact, and get published. So I try to create a balance between conducting research and uh, teaching by having a kind of timetable. Mostly I do things that have to do with uh, research on Thursdays, Fridays, and weekends, because at home, you know, I can begin to draft manuscripts if necessary. I can read, uh, uh, publish articles indirectly, preparing for teaching, and also preparing uh, to, to publish an article. So sometimes it's difficult to separate the two, because part of uh, what we do, we also mentor undergraduate students. So sometimes uh, uh, you are designing a small project for an undergraduate, you are mentoring them, and as well, you are getting yourself prepared for the class work. So it's difficult to really separate the two, but I try to, to, to create a balance. Oh, thank you. Um, the next question, so 
um, is around ORCID IDs and how widely are they used in your institution? Are ORCID IDs commonplace um, for researchers and authors in African countries? I, uh, I don't know how widely used it is certainly, but I do know quite a number of uh, colleagues have uh, these IDs and I have mine and I do know that one of the major importance of uh, this ID that it gives you uh, ownership or control of your uh, published work. So once you publish your work, you can uh, uh, manage all your published work, whether a book, an article, you know, a peer review article, you get them uh, together through this ID. So I know quite a number of colleagues use them and I use it too. I have it on my CV and online profiles. Yes, so yeah, I I have a the ID of which helps me to link all my research, uh, publication, conferences, uh, proceedings, all in, in a single unit, and uh, it, it helps me gain visibility. It helps me gain uh, a wide. Um, people can easily see what I'm doing because it's a single an ID that connects a lot of things. So I have it uh, linked to my research gate account. I have a link to my uh, researcher uh, account and uh, I have it on my Google Scholar account. So it's kind of really needs all the research work when uh, one pushes out together. Well, for uh, for Abadabeli University, I cannot uh, really say how widely used, but I know that it's, it's it's still not at an appreciable level. Well, that's good to hear. Um, we have a last question in this section about if you are seeking financial aid, will you manage to get it to pursue your research? And I think we've covered a lot of that already. This is from Snita at Crimson Interactive. But I, you know, if you wanted to share with us whether or not either of you are actively seeking financial aid at the moment, it's entirely up to you. Yeah, so um, I've really enjoyed uh, financial aid quite a while. I, I, I got financial aid from my master's work, which fully sponsored the, the, the research work in, uh, in Belgium. And I, I had opportunity of traveling around European, about ten European countries, uh, to conduct research at uh, different labs. And uh, I was recently um, offered a DRD uh, scholarship for development-related studies uh, for a PhD at the University of Bonn at the Center for Research Development. So it's really competitive. And especially coming from um, developing countries, one really needs to um, stand out, especially in what one has done before from the, from the undergraduate work and have a very strong proposal. So research uh, seeking financial aid uh, comes in really, really handy when one has a very clear focus. And I've also enjoyed financial aid and, and the massively open online course, especially on Coursera. I've taken about 20 courses online and all have been under financial aid. I've never had to pay for any of them. And they have really, really been resourceful in getting a lot of uh, knowledge. Okay. And I think for me, the answer to the question is yes. Okay, that's great. Um, and just a note, I want to say uh, we have less than five minutes. Um, we can overrun slightly to ask all these interesting questions, but I would appreciate if you um, guys give um, the short kind of clear answers for these last set of questions. But then for those uh, those of you that need to leave um, in the next five minutes, I will be distributing the recording uh, by email so you wouldn't miss anything. Um, so yeah, back to the questions. This is the last last set of questions. Okay, well. so last section then, and it's about access to research. Um, how do you currently keep up with new research being published? Yeah, uh, one of the things I do, 
I subscribe uh, for uh, email alerts to some journals in my field. So once uh, a, a new publication is released, they uh, inform me via email. I also follow some selected uh, uh, journals on Twitter and I activated that uh, notification. So once there is a new article, I know. And of course, recently, I make use of uh, the researcher app. Great. So, <laughs> prior to the advent of uh, Researcher app, I used Google Scholar. It's, it was really, really handy. And then gradually uh, moved to ResearchGate. And now Researcher app turns out to be the honey because it pulls all the articles streamlined to the keywords that I need. And it comes up like... Uh, a social media feed so you can easily read the abstract. So what I use now is uh, the researcher app and I have it synced on my uh, the web platform for, for a more broader uh, view. Thank you. We weren't actually looking for an endorsement there, but yeah. it's, glad to, <laughs> it's nice to hear that you're actually using the app. So, um, and you mentioned publisher, um, sign up to publishers, article alerts. Um, how often, following on from that, how often do you actually browse or search for new papers? Is it, or does it depend on your research cycle and where you are in the research cycle? Yeah, it certainly depends on uh, whether we are in, in research cycle. Mostly uh, during the end of a session, end of every session, we have a lot of need to mentor the undergrads and of course, a lot of need to help them and carry them along and teach them how to uh, source for high quality uh, articles. So it depends on uh, the time. So for me, I have kind of automated uh, how I get recent papers or articles. So I have uh, on my uh, research app, I have like three key keyword filter. Yeah, three key filter. So when there are new articles, it just gives me a notification on my mobile. And I can just easily check to know what is what is new. So for me, I don't have to consciously uh, go searching for new article. It just pops up automatically and it really makes life very easy for me. Yeah, I do wish I had research around when I was at university, but hey-ho. Um, do you think? Do you feel that you dedicate enough time to finding out what's new and what your peers are up to? Yeah, I believe I dedicate quite uh, enough time in trying to find out what is new, particularly in my uh, area of research interests. I take a lot of uh, time in addition to all those uh, automated uh, alerts. I also take time to uh, uh, search and find out what is really uh, new, including uh, the use of social media platforms. So time is never enough to find out and, uh, and really use what I found. So what I do is that uh, when I get something new, I quickly sync it to uh, my EndNotes reference manager. And if the article is freely available, I just download it. So I create time every Friday in the evening to just sit down and then read through. If it's just the, the, the abstracts and then the discussion of the article to find out what is interesting in the new article. So for me, it's kind of like a system to really keep up to date with what is happening in my field of interest. Okay. Um, so how do your students access content then? Do they access it on your recommendation or are they proactive or, you know? It's, it's a mix up. Sometimes you, you know, you have uh, students from different backgrounds and, some of them are hard working on their own. You know, before you know it, they, 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 they have the first draft of, uh, of their research proposal. 
but some of them will come back to you and said, I have no idea where to get article Z, article X. So what I do, I sit down with them and I, I introduce them to some of these uh, uh, online academic uh, databases such as uh, the Directory for Open Access uh, PubMed since I'm from Medical and Life Sciences uh, Research Gate and of course recently the researcher app. So uh, yes, so um, what I do from time to time is to organize seminars for, for the students. Uh, undergraduates and, and the postgraduate masters and PhD students. So um, in this way, I I help them to you know get enlightened and the vast you know resources of how to get information and how to organize it and use them. Very few of them have the initiative to go a long way to you know do for themselves. But you know in 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 a way. I think the the internet is a good thing, but then in a way it's a bad thing because uh, find most students spend their time on Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp uh, instead of uh, using that time to really get something useful for for the academics. Hmm. All right. The last question was around social media, but I think we've more or less covered that. So. Christina, if there are, are there any questions from our not uh, not from the attendees of the webinar um, at the moment. If there are any additional questions about to our speakers, you can get in touch with me or Mary. Um, our email addresses are on the slide at the moment. And or if you if anyone has questions about researcher or about how we work with publishers, they can also get in touch. And I'd like to say huge thanks to Christopher Okolo and Bashar Haruna Gulumba today for taking the time to answer all these interesting questions and provide us with very kind of insightful answers. And um, thanks to Mary as well for sharing this session. And thank you everyone for attending as well. Thank you for having us. And that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.